So, like, take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off, you hosers. Hello and welcome to the Maiden Voyage first episode of the Hosers podcast. Hosers, eh? My name's Chris Killingsworth and joining me is my co-host Carter Lupel. What's up, Carter? How's it going, Chris? Before we get into it, you know, a lot of people will probably not recognize what the term hoser means. Go ask your parents, they could probably tell you. But uh, the word hoser is derived from the pre-Zamboni days where the losing team would have to hose down the ice after a game. This podcast is going to be about uh, hockey and, you know, I'm sure, you know, some of the stuff that Carter and I are into as well will probably, uh, you know, make its uh, appearance on here as well. But, uh, you know, it was either hosers or we were going to call it neutral zone frap. Which would have been my choice. I didn't know. But yeah. What, is that, what does that mean? What is the... Well, neutral zone trap. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I just love... I love coffee. Like, frap, <laughs> is, love... frap is not a coffee, so but... you love frappuccino. <laughs> you know, I'll dabble. I'll dabble in, in the summer months. Peppermint mocha over there, right? Listen, buddy, it's delicious. <laughs> I, I already drank it. It's It's done. Room temperature. But that's the way I like it. I like, I like hosers. It's, um... Yeah, we're like it kind of encompasses, like you said, who we are as people. Like we're, for lack of a better word, we're the losers of the game. Like it was, like we never really did too well. No, fitting in or looking like we were the hockey guys or anything like that. But we, um, in fact, we always got the ice watered after the game, (laughs) more or less. As we kind of touched on briefly, like. Posers is really about celebrating not only the game of hockey, but the passion behind it as well and why everybody likes hockey or why everybody that's into hockey likes hockey. It's not just the person who went and played hockey and they like hockey just by proxy. It's the people that never played but have like an analytics interest in hockey or the outsider that like really just loves how the game works. Like it's about celebrating hockey. So I guess to kind of kick that off we're going to get into a bit of our earliest hockey memories and what got us into the game and what keeps us loving the game and maybe into some of the weird reasons why we still love who we love right oh absolutely I uh yeah like Carter said like that was a big thing for me um is I love hearing people's like memories of of, you know playing when they were kids um you know there's one reason or another that like we all got into this sport I think for a lot of Canadians, it's like kind of in our blood to love hockey. Like a right of passage. Yeah, it is totally. And I mean, um, as you're wearing a Team USA shirt. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get like grilled for uh, like my hockey wardrobe all the time. Listen, bud, I couldn't wear my uh, four check, back check, paycheck t shirt. <laughs> Sponsored by uh, Gong Show. And my Gong Show jeans are in the wash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, like, hockey player thigh-shaped jeans are in the wash right now. They got so. a good fit. They, they got, got a great fit. fit. Uh, just kidding. I could never wear those. Not to, like, I like that brand. I'm just, like, almost 30 years old, and I don't wheel snipe or sally nearly as much as I used to. No, we don't pack lips. We don't. Well, at least not while we're on air. Am I right? No, that's, do they have a chew pocket? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my God. It's funny. Actually, I, uh, recently was, where was, I guess I was at work and I was like on a break and we've got a pro image, uh, in the mall. For those of you guys who don't know what a pro image is, it's basically like a sports, like novelty store. They sell, uh, you know, sweaters, jerseys, whatever you want to call it. Memorabilia. Um, yeah. Memorabilia. Man cave shit and- it's literally man cave shit. That's like <laughs> the best way to describe it. Um, but I was in there and they had some gong show or no, not gong show. Sorry. Sauce hockey awesome. t-shirts <laughs> that were on their eight bucks. So oh. I bought six of them and <laughs> I dish, can't, I can't wear them. You dished out the sauce to get the sauce. Yeah, dude, I, I, I wear it and I'm just like, if, if some like, I don't know, like midget hockey player sees me wearing this, it's game over, man. I'm going to get roasted by this guy. Oh, he'll fucking kill you. He will kill me. He'll be like, what do you know about bar down, you know, anything? What Nothing. do you know about back check, four check, bitch? You don't. <laughs> I get a paycheck every couple, two weeks, but can't tell you the last time I, uh, well, I can't skate backwards all that well. So the back checking was, was a bit of a challenge for me, but you know, here we are. We got ourselves a mess. We got it. We went off. We went off. We'll set up the cans. No, that's fine. That's back back to it. We're going to, uh, we're going to talk about our earliest hockey memories and, um, why we love who we love. Do you want to start? Do you want me to go? I mean, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent about the 94 to 90, well, or not, not 94, probably 95 to 98 Florida Panthers of my youth. <laughs> um, I don't know if, if the listeners are ready for that. So maybe we could get started. You were like basically born and bred into hockey. Maybe we could start there. Yeah, I, I didn't really have a choice. I think most Canadians didn't have a choice, but like, so my dad was the, uh, the baby of seven and um, pretty sure he was the only one who played hockey just because his parents didn't want to deal with another kid again so they that's fair they gave him a set of equipment and he uh he got to go play so he played northern ontario he played d1 played in the show he um got burned a few times and hurt himself and that was the end of it but it, it was funny when he was playing his best hockey he was still cleaning carpets to make money like he's playing in the 70s like it was you were making money right yeah and so he was playing in L.A., not making any money. He was playing with Dave Taylor. Like He he got hurt just before Gretzky came and then um, went to Chicago for a bit, then played for the Marlies for a bit. But he, um, yeah, he loved the game, and he um, he instilled that in me. Like, I, growing up, I was my dad's best friend, right? Like, we moved around a lot when I was a kid, so I didn't really make friends in school. So I just looked up to my dad all the time, and I, I always have his hockey photos and like, oh, I want to play. So as soon as I was old enough to play, I was playing, right? And so but that's not really what, like, got me into the game. Like, obviously loved playing and loved that my, like, dad liked hockey and everything like that. But it was, um, he got me, or he took me to the Kozlov Center in Barrie. Yes. So if you guys don't know the Kozlov Center, if you've ever seen Mall Rats, it's the Dirt Mall. It's Barry's dirt mall. Well, they have some cha- they have some challenges keeping <laughs> they have like straight up they have challenges like keeping people in that mall. Like we just drove past it like 15 minutes ago and I noticed that the sign just got updated for like what's in that mall. Yeah, I think um, I think the lights were off and it was 6 in the evening. Yeah, straight up. But what what was so like what was in the Kozlov mall? We um we met Maurice Richard. Oh my, in the Kozlov Center. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he signed a Habs jersey of mine. And my dad, 
Northern Ontario. His dad was a Habs fan. He was a Habs fan. And against my better judgment, I'm a Habs fan. Would you call him a tire fire this year? Um, I mean, we can <laughs> save that for a little bit later into the show, but but yeah, so there's some challenges. I met Richard, and just not only by proxy was I a Habs fan, but meeting like one of Canada's all-time greatest hockey players, and you'll go down as one of Canada's all-time greatest hockey players. Meeting that was just like my earliest memory of like, holy shit, this is like something that I want to do. Like I'm meeting somebody who has lived my dream and taken it to the extreme. You know what I mean? And so little things like that, like those checkpoints along the way where like, that's what's so special about hockey is that everyone that's involved with hockey likes giving back to their community, but they don't realize that they kind of have that impact on like the people in their lives. Right. And so it's, um, yeah, that was my like earliest hockey memory that got me into it. And then once I like kind of met that, that hockey player, like I didn't know players. I knew, who Koivu and Dalfus was and things like that just because they played. But meeting someone in person, I got curious as to like what other all-stars were out there. And so I started watching the Red Wings and I like fell in love with how Iserman played and watching Lindstrom on the blue line. Like I was a defenseman that was like, holy shit. Like I haven't You don't get much better than Lindstrom, man. Yeah. Like I was like, I have to play defense like him. So my whole like minor hockey, I had a Lindstrom curve and that was like, <laughs> Was that big ugly square toe? <laughs> and then oh, I'm sure your parents love shelling out the money for that stick, man. Yeah, when the fucking synergy came out, I needed to have the Lidstrom curve. They only made the Madonna, and so they had to find the Lidstrom curve. And then, that's amazing. And then yeah, just like you, it carries on. You fell in love with these all stars, like you, like Joe Sakic. Like he was like at the time the ultimate Canadian hockey player. You loved watching Sakic play. Yeah. And then I would disagree with Sakic. Dude, I, I'm just going to go on record and say that I have absolutely no love for the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, I, I don't anymore. But like when they had like Sakic, Heydu, Blake, Forsberg, Wah, like when they had that fucking power line, like that was. Yeah, I mean. But they couldn't zero in on it, right? Like they still lost. Yeah, well, I mean, they had success, obviously, in the mid-90s, but I, I get what you're saying about the all-star thing. Um, it's like the USA Dream Team. Like, it, like yeah. they, they had such a, a lineup, and, like, kind of growing up when hockey was... Because I think that was the real transition of hockey. Like, there was, there was like, old-time, respectful, like, nose-to-the-grindstone hockey. I think growing up in the 90s in the area that we did, or in the era that we did, we watched the transition into a more showy game. Oh, definitely. And so I think that's where I got enamored was that they're all stars and they're doing something that normal people won't even touch. Sure. I, and I, you know, it's funny. I like, I get that perspective. It's, I, I don't know if I've ever looked at it quite, you know, like right through the same lens, but for me, like very similar, um, you know, my, my dad played hockey growing up. We talked about it a little bit. Um, and then it wasn't really until, uh, like my parents split up at a really, you know, young age. My mom, uh, met a guy, his name's Steve, my stepdad, uh, and his kids and him like obsessed with hockey. So I remember being like seven years old and I, you know, didn't have an older brother, but I had an older stepbrother who, you know, um, I was just 
he, he was like my, my hero growing up as a kid. He played hockey. Um, my brother and I never could play ice hockey. We both have something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder, which means that the easiest way to describe it is that my mom never wanted us to play because if we got bruised or got hit or anything like that, we would bruise and and get hurt very, very easily. So uh, never, never played the game, played a little bit, you know, as I got older and, and, you know, my mom couldn't tell me what to do anymore. and, And I'd say, too bad, mom, I'm doing my own thing. Um, but like most kids run away from home. You got a hockey stick. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm going to wear skates. Um, (laughs) yeah, I could never do that. She's a sweet lady, but there's a couple of memories that I have like specifically from like the mid nineties when I was like just old enough to start understanding it. Um, and for me, it started with the Florida Panthers. So, um, I'm going to go on record like Florida, will always have such a soft spot for me. Um, When I was a young kid, they were just coming into the league. And as a young kid, that Panther logo was so much cooler than like the now, you know, I know this now, but didn't know as a kid, the iconic Maple Leaf or the Red Wings logo or the Boston Bruins logo. You know what I mean? Like this logo to like a seven-year-old kid was like, okay, cool. I want to know what this is about, right? Yeah, it's not a C. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's got something that's, that's a little different, right? So um, I remember going into my, uh, my stepbrother's room, his name's Chris uh, as well. So two Chris's in the house is pretty weird. But um, he, uh, he, one year, I want to say it was for Christmas, got a Scott Mellonby action figure. And he opened it up and was like screaming and yelling. He was so excited that he got this Scott Mellonby action figure. And like I said earlier, my brother was my like hero. So I immediately became in love with the Florida Panthers and uh, was just absolutely obsessed with them from like 95 to 98. So when they played in um, the that one series – uh, against the Avalanche, where the Avalanche swept them in the 95-96 season. That's why you hate them. That's exactly, buddy. It's it's like a seething hatred, like still <laughs> after all these years. Uh, but it's funny because that was the year where the rat trick happened. You know, for those of you guys who don't know, there was a rat in the dressing room. Scott Mellonby um, shot the rat across the room with that hockey stick and later went on to have a great night with that stick. So it was like this lucky stick. And in Florida Panthers folklore, they, uh, yeah, threw these plastic rats on the ice. And there's, you know, as a kid, the Panthers score and you just see the goalie like hiding in in the net because of all these rats that are being thrown (laughs) onto the ice. I just, I I was obsessed, man. Like straight up, I, I think about it, you know, as an adult now and I'm just like, you know, that feeling of like watching this unfold is like just, it was so exhilarating for this little kid. Right. So it's like, they're like real life superheroes. Like it's like you can love a Ninja Turtle or a Power Ranger, but yeah, it like at some point that fairy tale ends. Right. Yeah. But there's real life to like to these superheroes. Totally. And where my brother loved, uh, he was, he played goalie, most of like from what I remember in his like earlier younger career, he played a goalie. 
Um, and we both loved, 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 loved John Van Beesbrook. Um, like sickest helmet. Like he just looked so cool in that Florida jersey. Um, so I wanted to be a goalie, couldn't play the game, but uh, whenever we played road hockey, I was always John Van Beesbrook. Uh, and uh, it was funny. I don't know how my mom did this, but Maple Leaf stuff was like super accessible. Like you could get it like literally anywhere for a young kid. My mom got us, I remember vaguely, but she had like a Sears catalog and ordered me a pair of Florida Panther themed shoes. And I had a Florida Panthers starter, like windbreaker and I wore it everywhere. Until the color. Until, yeah. (laughs) And it was like that, like, remember their old sweaters? They were like navy blue and they had like the yellow and red trim. That was like the jacket. And my parents would never buy me like the, the, the jersey, but like I could wear that around. Uh, like that, this windbreaker buddy, I wore it everywhere. Showered with it. Yeah, like I was, I was obsessed. But, anyways, you, I could go on forever. But like for me, that was just like the like the entry point to me, just like falling in love with this game. And um, you know, I think that there was something that was. It's it's weird to talk about, but for me, it's like I've like really never played ice hockey that much. Like I played a little bit. You know, like if my, my, uh, my family would sometimes rent ice and we had like an ice rink when I was a kid, but you know, it was never something that I, you know, I couldn't, it was weird. It's like, I almost like couldn't participate in a way because of, you know, my mom and her thinking that like me and my brother were going to fall apart if we ever played, which we probably would have, but it, it almost like made it more interesting because it was like something I couldn't have. So I wanted to like give all of my attention and focus to it. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, but see, I think that's something that should be celebrated as well, or is to be celebrated, especially through this podcast, because that offers that outside scope. Like you have someone who's in it for so long. Like all I knew for the first 21 years of my life was hockey. Like I wanted to make it to the show. I like got drafted played university hockey, played juniors, like, and that's all I ever saw. And I had blinders on to like the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. And so it's something to be celebrated because all of these people who never really got to play or didn't play to a certain level, they're all the ones that are leading in the industry right now because they know they, they have such a meticulous eye for the game because they never had to worry about playing the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. Like you see it and hear about it. Like I certainly like subscribe to it everywhere I go of like these guys who are, you know, you don't want to paint like all your like analytics guys and stuff like that with that brush, like all they never played the game, but they're probably like so much more well-versed into it than people who actually hashtag played the game. If you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So it's like one of those things where, yeah, no, I, I think, I think it's good that like, or I think it's something that maybe if anything that this podcast, can give to the world is to celebrate those people that maybe don't have the means or the talent or anything to play, but they still have so much that they can offer to the game. I think sure. That's a scope that needs to like start to be celebrated, you know? Totally. And for me, I, I just, I get like really giddy and like silly thinking about like, you know, people now, I don't think I've ever talked about like my love for the Panthers when I was a kid, but like, I want to hear those stories from people. You like, know what I mean? Like, I think those stories are, like, they're so funny. And, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm sitting here, like, nearly 30 years old, and I'm, like, 
just going on and on about like, you know, Scott Mellenby and, you know, that, that team that, you know, they made some noise in their first couple of years. And, you know, we're going to get into the Vegas Golden Knights in a little bit here, but, um, well, Panthers did like they had, who did they, they had Jovanovsky, they had Jovo Cobb, <laughs> they had Burray for a bit. They, yeah, that's uh, true. Who else did they have? They had Niedermeyer. Yeah. Like, it, they, they had some good names go through and then like, I guess later on in their franchise, you like saw Yager go in and put up some like crazy points for Florida. Like it's they're just a franchise that like has kind of I don't know they're they're like a quiet riot almost. Like yeah, I I think that there's like you know definitely a level of that. I I they worry me like right now. <laughs> like I don't have like any like you know like I I don't have any skin in the game for Florida. Like certainly they're a team that like I'll always like love you know, deep down, like when I, when I see them having success, like certainly that peaked a little bit when Aaron Eckblad got drafted and, and, you know, I watched him play with the Colts and yeah. you know, he's, he's a really special, special player. Um, you know, like I see some of the moves that they've made in the last couple of years and like, we're going to get into it a little bit with like Las Vegas, but I see like <laughs> Riley Smith and, and Jonathan Marchessault get like cast off from Florida because I guess Florida doesn't want people to score goals for them. I'm not sure, but you know what I mean? Like, a different game. Yeah. Like what the hell? Right. So, uh, you know, and they, and they've invested a lot into like, you know, they're, they're in it as far as like analytics go. And then they make these moves and you're just like, you know, like what the hell are you doing? So, um, you know, we'll get into it a little bit, but, um, you know, thanks for sharing, you know, or, you know, thanks for letting me talk really about, about Florida and like, you know, how this seven-year-old kid in Angus, Ontario is like (laughs) playing road hockey as John Van Beesbrook, you know, it's, it's, it's goofy to think about, but brings a smile to my face, man. Everyone's got a story they want to tell, right? Like it's like, yeah, like it's, you gotta, you gotta celebrate. You can't be afraid of your past. Dude, I I love it. Anyways, moving on, we're going to get into, uh, you know, something that kind of rocked the hockey world last night. Um, and that is the, uh, the big trade. So let's go through kind of the, the specifics here. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Matt Duchesne has, had requested a trade from the Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche. I said that kind of weird. Your favorite team, the Avalanche. Yeah, I don't even... <laughs> Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Uh, he requested a trade, uh, and apparently there were a few trades on the board, uh, or, or at least that were you know kind of discussed and talked about. And then Elliot Friedman um, and uh, a couple of other people reported this past week that there was this three-way trade uh, that got, you know, kind of cut at some, you know, some point or another. And then finally, last night, um, the the trade broke. So the specifics of the trade, Matt Shane gets traded from the Colorado Avalanche to the, <laughs> <laughs> to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, and then you also have Kyle Turris who was traded from the Ottawa Senators to the Nashville Predators. And then as a part of this three-way trade, uh, Samuel Girard, Vladislav Kamenev, a 2018 second-round pick from Nashville to Colorado. And then Shane Bowers, Andrew Hammond, uh, 2018 first, and a 2019 third-round pick go to Colorado. So something that was really interesting about this is, as I said, this, this trade did not go down um earlier not earlier in the week but you know when it was expected to go down there was a bit of a hold up 
Um, and then there is an interesting piece that I read last night that the first round pick that's going to Colorado is lottery protected. So if Ottawa picks in the top 10 at the 2018 NHL entry draft, um, they can keep the pick and defer to 2019. So if you know there's a scenario where Ottawa doesn't put it together um, as much as they expect to, they can keep the pick and defer that pick to 2019. And if Ottawa defers the pick in 2019, Colorado would get their first round pick regardless. So it doesn't matter. What were your kind of initial thoughts on the trade as it went down, Carter? Um, well, it kind of reminded me like of a baseball trade. Like just in the sense that there were just so many like moving pieces. Yeah, there's so many cogs in the wheel, and like someone getting pulled from a game. Like I, I can't remember the last. Like maybe I'm like out of it a bit, but I can't remember the last time I've seen that. Did you see the video? No, I never. Dude, saw it's it. so awkward. Well, really? awkward's maybe not the right word, but to your point, like I don't think I've ever seen that either, right? Yeah, like I've seen it in baseball. Like our like come up. Yeah, you get you get the like the come over here type uh, gesture motion, right? Yeah, like. I guess, like, you have a hatred for Colorado. I just, I can't watch them play. Like, I don't want to hate them, though. Yeah. It's just, as I, like, as I said earlier, you know, like, they they swept my Florida Panthers, and I was just devastated. So, you know, I'm moving past it. Like, <laughs> it's been, like, over 20 years. Like, I should be able to get over it. Enough that I can talk about their prospect pool and, and what they've, you know, been able to put together. But I agree with you, like, Duchesne dressed for Colorado's game uh, and played just under two minutes before being removed from the game. Uh, and then Twitter basically, blew, like, they just blew up, right? Like, some, everybody kind of knew, like, that, you know, it was back on the table earlier uh, in that e- in the evening. Elliot Friedman reported that uh, the trade might be back on. And then shortly after, you know, here we are. Well, that's, that's like, what's terrifying about transfer information. Like, it's so quick. But that's also to the detriment. Like, it, it kind of goes against what the NHL was about. Like, growing up, we had all-stars that stayed, and they played their whole career for that team. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if they did get traded, it was all-star for all-star. Yeah. Like, and so that's what's so confusing about this is all these, like, landed players and, like, deadline get off the ice and, like, okay, I'll give you this pick, but it's going to be protected, like, under this clause. and everything. Like, it's, yeah. it's amazing, like how in-depth this trade was and how last minute it was. Yeah, it's it's busy for sure. And and I think we can we can kind of break it down together here. So I'll get started with with Matthew Shane. So Matthew Shane's 26 uh, right now is a cap hit of $6 million until 2019. Um, he had 10 points in 14 games before being dealt to the Ottawa Senators, which was interesting in and of itself because there was a lot of conversation around, you know, he you know, kind of started putting it back together a little bit. And there was a little bit of chatter around whether or not he would end up being dealt, um, which was interesting because, you know, the guy was unhappy. Like we knew that the, the public knew he was unhappy, um, you know, and just to hear the rumblings like, oh, well, maybe now that it's starting to turn around, he'll want to stay. Um, in any case, he had 41 points, 18 goals, 23 assists, uh, but was minus 34 in 77 games last season. And that season, for those of you who don't know, uh, Colorado, um, they finished last in the NHL with 48 points, uh, which was not uh, not a great showing by the Colorado Avalanche. So, uh, yeah, that's that's Matthew Shane uh, as far as, uh, you know, leading up to the trade. Now, the trade was finalized last night. Duchesne um, was at practice, had a press conference this morning, uh, wearing number 95. 
<laughs> How do we feel about 95 as a number? I don't know. I'm, I, don't, I just don't know where it came from. So he said, well, nine is the number he's always worn. Yeah. And five was the number he wore as a kid. But, you know, maybe it's the the Toronto Maple Leafs of recent who, like, don't allow player numbers over, I guess it would be 55 with Borgman. It's just strange to see a number in the 90s other than, you know, like McDavid. Yeah. Right? But in any case, he got that new, new jersey, number 95. Um, he practiced this morning with Ottawa. Uh, second line center was Zach Smith and Mike Hoffman. And maybe the most interesting piece to this is Duchesne will play his first two games with the Senators against the Avalanche. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's happening in the 2017 SAP NHL Global Series. Avalanche play the Senators on Friday and Saturday in Stockholm, Sweden. No way. That's got to be pretty weird. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, the Avalanche have been, like, really strange to follow, like, ever since Waugh, like, announced his resignation and everything like that. Like, like, Duchesne had so much promise in 2009 when he was selected. Like, it was almost like he was drafted with a shovel and <laughs> dug his own grave in well, Colorado. Like, and it's weird, too, because Colorado's, like, his team. Like, that was his team growing up. Yeah. Like, he loved, loved, loved that team, right? I know. And then watching him go there and fail was, like, weird. And yeah. not, well, I guess not fail, but I guess I, I'll kind of talk to this point a bit, but I, I feel like Ottawa's doing it right because they kind of, they kind of apple pick these players that were almost abused by the organization. Like, I feel like a few too many pounds were put on Duchesne's shoulders in Colorado, but like coming into Ottawa and being put on the second line, I feel like it's somewhere where he's going to thrive, where there's not that much pressure that's being put on him. Like, mm-hmm. Ottawa has, like, the infrastructure and the depth to support a player like Deshane and let him flourish, you know what I mean? It It's like they did with FNUF. Like, if you look how FNUF used to play, like, he used to be a, a terrible defenseman because Toronto put so much pressure on him sure. to be, like, their all-star defenseman. He's not an all-star defenseman. He's a second, third-line defenseman. Yeah. If you bury him in the lineup and just have him be your support defense, he's going to do very well in that position. Yeah. And I feel like Ottawa has a real great eye for talent for doing that. So I'm excited to see how Duchesne stacks up in the Ottawa lineup. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, to your point about Phaneuf, like Phaneuf, I think he's been sheltered uh, in Ottawa, which which is, you know, I, I don't know. I think some people may agree with that. Some people might not. But he certainly, um, you know, he still wears VA. Um, he doesn't have the spotlight on him like he would in a market like Toronto. And I think Eric Carlson like does a really great job of not deflecting, but he's able to answer those questions. He's able to speak to the team, the team's success. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they say that Ottawa is a boring team to watch. Um, I don't think so. Like I, I really enjoy watching Mike Hoffman. I think Mark Stone is a terrific player. Um, you know, you know, I mean, you're watching Eric Carlson, arguably the best defenseman in the NHL. Um, he's just so fun to watch. Like whenever he's on the ice, he's, he's got that presence, right? So if you're, I think I understand what you're saying is that, you know, with, with Colorado, um, you know, who I think arguably like they had the star power that they should be able to like kind of even out all of the things that were going wrong in that organization with, you know, they've got a lot of other, you know, high end talent, got McKinnon, you've got, uh, you've got um, Landis Gog as well. So it's, it's interesting. I I'm interested to see what he's going to do 
Um, I think he's just happy to be back in Ontario. Like that yeah. was one of the first things that he they said. Out, yeah. yeah, that he was excited to be back in Ontario. Um, Duchesne's a native of Halliburton, Ontario. My cottage is around Halliburton. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if I'll, uh, you know, run into him? yeah, run into him. Speedboat past him. Yeah, <laughs> hey, buddy. But uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see. This is like a reason I love hockey is like the storylines, right? Um, it's I think, never just what you see. It's sure, you know, and like for me, I'm a hockey fan. Like I love the storylines. Sure, I have my favorite teams and my favorite players and, and all of that. But for me, like I, I like this, it's like, you know, you're going to see Duchesne go up against, you know, his former team and, and you know, who knows how it's going to go. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people will be watching. Now, the other side of all of this, too, um, is Kyle Turris. Um, <laughs> I don't want to just spend the whole time talking about Duchesne. But uh, Kyle Turris, obviously, uh, goes from Ottawa and makes his way to the Nashville Predators. He was traded with a cap hit of about $3.5 million, uh, And then as soon as he got to Nashville, you got to think that this was part of the, the trade. Um, three-way trades are weird. Three ways are, are often weird for the people involved. <laughs> um, but uh, he signed a contract last night, six years, $6 million. Um, Turris had nine points, three goals, six assists, and 11 games for Ottawa this season. Last year, he had his career best, 27 goals, uh, and finished with 55 points. So one of the more interesting points that I read about in the last uh, 24 hours or so is that when trying to negotiate a new deal with Ottawa, it was said that Turris's camp was asking for seven to eight years in Ottawa, but he ended up signing for Nash, uh, signing in Nashville for six years. So kind of dug into that a little bit, wanted to find out you know, where that was coming from. Uh, and GM Pierre Dorian commented that six years was never an option when discussing a new deal with Ottawa. And then later this afternoon, Turris, you know, more or less said the same thing. So do you think it was ever it was ever going to happen for Turris? Like, I, I never expected Turris to sign. I had a feeling he wasn't going to sign anyways. Not that it's been a tumultuous, you know, set of circumstances in Ottawa, but wh- where did you sit with the Turris part of the trade? I don't know. It, it's kind of tough to say because, like, he's... Although he's not, like, that much older than Duchesne, I feel like, like he's been followed a bit more or, like, under a bit more scrutiny just because... Like Ottawa had such a like a great season last year, yeah. And so I, it's tough to say because you want to see him develop, mm-hmm. and um, I'm sure you, like you're going to get to this later about Nashville and the defense, but it's not Nashville's not a place for him to go develop. You know what I mean? No, so, like they're I, I and I mean at that age, like 28 years old, div, like I think he he is developed. I think it's yeah. the system around him that. And see, I didn't want to go into saying like he's. He's yeah, got his style of playing. And like, yeah, well, because gonna be. sure, I think it's going to change, right? Like, you know, you're going into a team like Nashville that's, you know, pretty established, man. Like, yeah. I, I can I can riff on Nashville forever, but it uh, I agree with you. Like, it, it does seem like it's it's going to be an interesting fit for him. Um, yeah, I like when you when you think of Turris, you think of the Senators, right? Like, it's going to be weird to see him in a new home, but I don't know how he's going to fit into that that fabric you know sure yeah and I think too like I think of tourists like Duchesne former third overall pick um you know he him leaving uh Arizona Phoenix at the time 
Um, yeah, but it was so weird. Like I remember there just being so much drama surrounding Turris and like the, the media painted him almost as if like this, this guy that was like unappreciative for the opportunities. We'll have to get Tim Waugh on here to, uh, <laughs> to talk about the, the coyotes in a bit more detail, but you know, I, I thought he was a great fit for Ottawa. I think, um, you know, when he played for Ottawa, it's so weird saying that, knowing that he's not there anymore. But, <laughs> you know, I think that the one-two punch with him and Broussard uh, was positive. And, and even when Zibanejad played for uh, Ottawa before being dealt to New York, because um, it was last year or the year before that, um, you know, I, I thought that Ottawa had a, a really good kind of depth down the middle. And now Turris is making his way to to Nashville, who is really, really firmed up kind of the middle of the ice, um, which I think offensively Nashville has had some challenges. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what he brings to the table. Um, you know, he's got nine points in 11 games as of recording right now. So it'll be interesting to see what gets put together. Well, yeah, you just like wonder, like he goes from a team that recognizes where the talent is to be placed in the roster to a team that's like, they're set up the middle and they're focused on developing their defense. Like if he's going to sink or swim, yeah, you know what I mean? And I really hope he doesn't get lost in the system because he's a, he's a big set of talent that doesn't deserve to be kind of pushed to the wayside, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if he ever, it's interesting. I get what you're saying. I, I don't think that's going to be as much of a, an issue in Nashville where he's not going to disappear, but like, he's no. not going to get the, I guess he's not going to get the conditioning that like he would get if he were a more integral part or like, it's a weird time to get into a team like mid November. Like it's, it's yeah. Glad this trade, like it kind of got me from a loop, like from the beginning is like, yeah. Like, where is he going to stand? Right. Like I think yeah. Ryan Johansson, like he is the established number one guy, yeah. uh, you know, as far as center ice goes um, for Nashville, but it's interesting because, like, I remember times where, like, David Legwand was, like, the only, like, established <laughs> guy on on the Predators. You know what I mean? And, you know, things have obviously changed. Um, you know, we're going to get into it in a little bit here. But, you know, na- this this is a move that Nashville needed to make. Uh, it was very, very clear to me that they were they were in a win-now mode. Yeah. They had had some dialogue with, uh, with the Colorado camp about Matt Duchesne in the summertime. Um, and Duchesne, you know, Duchesne wasn't going to be going to, uh, to Nashville without one of the big four, uh, of the defensemen from Nashville. So I think, you know, we're going to get into like who you think won the trade, uh, yeah. shortly, but let's get into, uh, some of the, the haul and it is like a haul that Colorado got, uh, in this trade. So we'll For like a bag of pucks too. Like, well, <laughs> I wouldn't say a bag of pucks, but like, you know, with prospects, like, you know, people always say, like, it, it's it's so up in the air. Like, what yeah. is a prospect? Like, you know, how are they going to be and, and things like that? But let's get into um, Samuel Girard. Um, so Samuel Girard, 19 years old. Um, he's still on an entry-level contract with Colorado. The Predators selected Girard, who at the time, and still is, a pretty undersized blue liner at 5'10", 161 pounds. And he was drafted in the second round, 47th overall in the 2016 NHL draft. He spent three seasons in the queue with the Shawinigan Cataracts. I love saying Shawinigan. I don't know if I said the last <laughs> name right. Uh, but his his per-game point production steadily improved um, as the season went on. He uh, His first season was 0.67 
second season was uh, point, uh, sorry, 1.10. And then in the last year, it was 1.27. So by the time he left, you know, lots of people were saying he might be the best, um, best offensive defenseman in the CHL and certainly one of the better, um, one of the better prospects in the CHL. Um, now that being said, the Predators, as we kind of touched on, they've just got so much depth that I don't think that they would have been able to make the room for Girard, certainly on the power play, which is where I think he would have been slotted for a lot of that, um, a lot of those minutes. Um, and, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, this, this is not a hot take by any means, but I, I do think that Nashville has the best top four in the entire NHL. Oh, absolutely. You, you know, you got PK Subban, my man, Ryan Ellis, Matthias Ekholm, and, and Roman Yossi. And, you know, maybe we can get into this a little bit too, but they ha- they, they are like a, a factory for, for putting really, really great high-caliber defensemen together. Um, Nashville's developed Ryan Ellis. Um, they've obviously been able to develop Yossi and Ekholm. Shea Weber, I mean, that's part of it as well. He was used to acquire Subban. And not only have they been exceptional at drafting and finding that talent, but uh, developing defensive talent. This is an interesting point that I read that uh, in the last two years, the Nashville Predators have added Ryan Johansson, P.K. Subban, and Kyle Turris from flipping some of their top-end defensive talent for help up front, which I think is like fascinating. That they recognize that you know we're not going to be able to make the impact that we want to make as a team, as an organization, and especially in the market that they're in, right? without taking some risks and um you know dave poyle the the gm in nashville he might be the most exciting gm because he just does things and it's not that's nashville right yeah as a whole like not just his they just like the the risks though like and i think i just i love that about him because i like look at some of the gms in the league and i look at like you know uh, peter shirelli and you know it's funny because when I read, when I saw that that trade went down yesterday, I was just like, somebody's got to tell Peter Shirelli that you can get more than one asset for a top line <laughs> player, right? But but seriously, like you look at like the Hall, the Hall and, and Larson trade, and you're just like one for one, and you know it's it's yet really to be seen what Larson is. Like we know what Taylor Hall is, yeah. probably you know top five left wingers in the game right now. Um, so it's old world thinking just one for one, right? Yeah. And it's just interesting to see how it all, you know, came to be. Right. So, um, as I said, Gerard, he's going to be exciting, man. Gerard is expected to be a top four defenseman for the Colorado Avalanche. I'm just going to say it like that now because it's, it's stupid, but, um, and he's expected to step right in. Um, Joe Sackick said earlier today that, Samuel Gerard will meet the Avalanche in Sweden and is expected to play against the Senators. So uh, he's going to get his shot that he probably wouldn't have got quite to the same degree in Nashville uh, yeah. with Colorado. Well, that's the thing. Like, Nashville can, like, they've realized that the game is changing and it's a very offensive game. Like, you don't see these brutes protecting the one flashy guy anymore. Everyone's flashy and everyone's mm-hmm. a brute. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um that being said, though, that's not, I guess we spoke to, um, we, we spoke to Gerard's size, I guess, um, like in regards to everyone's a brute, like you can't, you can't discredit 
him for his size though, right? Like, Oh, I think everybody wants to look at it though. Like your, your like old school way of thinking is just like, this guy's undersized. He's not going to be able to put it together quite the same way. It's not like a tough guy's game anymore. You don't need to be like eight feet tall, 400 pounds to sure. like keep up with everybody. Like the more like European flowy, showy style of the game, that's kind of transcending like down into North American play. Mm-hmm. And the game is a lot more like, I guess aesthetically pleasing to watch. Oh yeah, it's so much faster. You know, you see people just ripping up and down the ice. And and I get what you're saying. Like, you know, long is you know the the era of the NHL where your fourth line is like, uh, you know, a a guy who you know two guys that just fight people. The Vikings. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it doesn't exist anymore. Like you're starting to see fourth lines, for example, that that have added a a layer of skill, and and that's you know certainly been been fun to watch um yeah it's it's well i guess unpredictable is the wrong word but Mm. yeah there's just so much depth and talent now like you used to have like a few all-stars on the team now everyone's a superstar yeah yeah and and in their own right right like there's still players that are maybe less than ideal on teams like you know i i I can think of a, a few people right now that you know they have a spot on the team because of their penalty penalty killing abilities but They've also got to be able to shoot the puck. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not just, you know, like your fourth line, as I said earlier, like it's not just your your enforcers that are just going to, you know, drop the mitts with whomever, right? It's it's a little bit stronger that way. And, you know, the other, the other piece that Colorado got um, is a pretty unknown commodity, uh, Vladislav Kamenev. Um, those of you who don't know him, I feel like most people don't know him. Uh, Kamenev's 21. Uh, he's still on his entry level deal with Colorado. He was drafted in the second round of the 2014 draft, and he's really made a case to enter or at the time to enter the Preds lineup. Um, and now Colorado's lineup right out of camp. Um, he's been so far, uh, an effective contributor in the AHL. He's playing with, uh, or was playing with Nashville's farm team, the Milwaukee Admirals. So he jumped out to a fast start uh, this year in the AHL. He's got eight points in the first nine games. Uh, a lot of people would say uh, he's a strong two-way center. He just needs to improve his uh, offensive consistency. Uh, my understanding is that he's going to be going to San, San Antonio, um, which is the San Antonio rampage of the AHL. Uh, but most people expect him to be a call-up option. Um, and I think he could be still... Probably top nine, bottom six, maybe, um, if he continues to develop the offensive side of his game in the AHL. But I feel like like he's the type of player that once he gets the burn in an organization that's going to invest and develop in him, he's going to flourish. Yeah. And so Nashville wasn't the place to do that. Yeah, and I mean, they're, it's weird to think that they've almost been able to become deeper. Like, no, <laughs> it's, not, it's not to say that they're not a deep team, it's just that, you know, they were never an offensive team and now we're starting to see it. Right. So, you know, I think about uh, Eli Tolvanen who was drafted by Nashville this past year. Um, who's just lighting up the KHL uh, with Joker it. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, we're finally going to see a Nashville team that is, is a bit more offensive. Uh, Shane Bowers is another pick um, who is making his way to Colorado. He's an 18-year-old prospect that's playing with uh, the Boston University Terriers in the NCAA. He was drafted into the QMJHL by the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles, fourth overall. 
Um, and Shane Bowers, being from Halifax, Nova Scotia, instead opted to play in the USHL uh, with the Waterloo Blackhawks, which would allow him to continue having eligibility in the NCAA. Um, that's interesting. You don't, I mean, you see it the other way around. Like people commit to uh, an NCAA, like usually Division One team, and they end up uh, going to play for the London Knights more often than not. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You, you see this and you hear about it. Um, so it's interesting that he decided to go the college route, um, and he was a first-round selection of the Senators, uh, 28th overall in the last summer's uh, entry draft. So far, he's got a quick start with the Terriers, uh, scored four goals in three games, but he's been pretty quiet since then. Um, he hasn't had any goals, a couple assists in the last seven games for the Terriers, um, and BU's team is is struggling. Um, they had um, a lot of expectation this year. Um, but they've been, they've been a little quiet. Um, he's been centering BU's second line, um, spending a lot of time with Brady Kachuk, uh, Brady Kachuk, the younger brother of Matthew Kachuk and the, I believe, youngest son of Keith Kachuk. Um, he's projected to be a top round pick this coming year, but, uh, yeah, Shane Bowers, reliable, uh, two way player skating's okay. And he is capable of playing a physical game. At the NHL level, he projects to be probably a second-line player, but could be a really great piece in the rebuild in Colorado. Do you know much about Shane Bowers at all? Uh, well, yeah. So it's the Hockey East like division for NC2A is a tough division. Like You have your teams like UMass Lowell, you have New Hampshire, you have BC that will like always be a contender. Um, what else we got? We got Maine, we got Providence, we got Mass, we got Vermont. Like, it's a tough loop to play in. Yeah. And um, they're not doing too bad. Like, they're sitting at about 500, I think. But um, the exposure is not there. And I guess when you're kind of in the shadow of Boston College, like, you're always kind of going to be fighting to, like, progress in that loop, right? Yeah. And so being in the same town as Boston College, like... Well, I think they have like competitive clubs, right? Like I remember I'd never like really cared about college hockey until a couple of years ago when I stumbled across the bean pot that was on TV and yeah. I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, and, and, you know, like I, truthfully, I didn't really give a shit about the NCAA till you know, Jack Eichel was a top prospect and, and everybody was like, you know, could he beat Connor McDavid as number one? And having seen Connor McDavid play for Erie uh, when they'd come and play the Colts, like, I wanted to see if Jack Eichel was the real deal. Yeah. Um, I still don't think we've seen Jack Eichel at, like, peak yeah. Jack Eichel yet. But, um, you know, certainly there's a bit more. I'd say there's more exposure to to the uh, the Hockey East side of things now because, yeah. you know, we're seeing a lot of prospects go that way. Um, and to be honest, it's refreshing to see prospects, you know, say, eh, I'm not so sure about playing in the CHL. Um, and, you know, if they go play, if they go play college hockey – you know, there's the opportunity to get an education and, and, and all the other things that go along with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, um, but you have to think, too, like, the way the game's transitioning, like, the OHL is still kind of, like, in my mind, old, old world, how they play hockey. Like, all of the leagues in Canada still are transitioning out of, like, a traditional Canadian game into a more North American game, which is kind of a synthesized European North American game, right? Yeah. And that's why I think Bowers is going to, he's going to not only be a great asset to Colorado, like this opportunity for Colorado and him is 
again, another product of perfect timing mm-hmm. because he doesn't have to transition his game at all. He he was, like, by playing in the NC2A loop, he's been born and bred in it, you know what I mean? So he's going to he's gonna integrate very nicely into this new NHL. Yeah. Um, it, it's been interesting, too, to see players step out of the NCAA and, like, have that impact, right? Like, you know, every year it seems like there's a, a sweepstakes for a top NCAA talent that's coming out of the league uh, and, you know, teams fighting for the rights to get them. I look at a guy like Will Butcher, who's who's been really impressive with the New Jersey Devils um, to the start of the season. Um, you already have an NCAA guy uh, in Alex Kerfoot that's playing uh, for the Colorado Avalanche. So that's that's been an interesting pickup. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. They can retain the rights for a little bit longer. Um, they can't sign while they're still in school, uh, for those of you who didn't know. So, uh, you know, he'll be coming out of school 23, 24, and, you know, we might see a guy who's ready to make an immediate impact um, at the professional levels. So, uh, Andrew Hammond is the last piece to go to Colorado, uh, the Hamburglar, uh, as some people know him as. It's interesting because I think most people expect Andrew Hammond to get flipped right away. Um, in fact, Colorado loaned Andrew Hammond back to the Belleville Senators, uh, Belleville being Ottawa's farm team, and said, "Like on paper, he's ours, but you can have he's him for you can him. have him for a bit longer." Which you know we've we've seen the loaning thing happen a little bit more often in the AHL recently, with uh, even as recently as Casimir Kaskasuo. I love seeing that name, man. Such a <laughs> sick name. He's uh, He was loaned to the Chicago Wolves from the Toronto Marlies because the Marlies just, they have the goaltending depth. They don't, you know, he's don't either, either, yeah. either going to sit there or go play in the ECHL. So he's loaned over. I think there's a couple of different sides that you can look at it who won the trade. So let's look at, at it from Ottawa's perspective. Ottawa ships out a pending UFA that wasn't going to re-sign in Ottawa. Like we knew Turris wasn't going to re-sign. It's been out for a while that he probably wasn't going to resign. And in return, they got a younger Duchesne. Ottawa does this trade. This is a big thing for a lot of Sens fans without having to give up any of their top prospects. Oh, absolutely. That was, that's the, that's like their, their molding, like, yeah. Or that's their crowning achievement is that they didn't have Sure. To. And I mean, you look at Shabbat, White, Brown, just to name, you know, three of their, of their top guys, like, you know, they're, they're going to still, you know, be ready to go. Like I think Logan Brown um, of the Windsor Spitfires, like he's going to be fighting for a job. I got to imagine he's going to fight for a job next year. Same with Colin White. Um, Shabbat looked good in the preseason for Ottawa. Um, I got to think, I would guess that those three guys are, are making the team next year. Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting. And ultimately, Ottawa was able to rid themselves of $1.5 million uh, and still were able to keep Hammond on the AHL team. And as most people know, like they're a budget team. Like Ottawa doesn't spend to the cap. They just don't have the, 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 means. the means yeah, to be able to do that. So $1.5 is probably insignificant to the Maple Leafs or the Canadians or the Rangers or whomever. Uh, but for a team like Ottawa, like that's that's really valuable. Like you talked about before, you know they're a win now team, yeah, right? Absolutely. So I think this gives the Senators the options to to move forward, and you know you only get Eric Carlson in his prime once, 
Yeah. Um, and you know, Carlson's going to be a, uh, up up for a contract renewal in the next couple of years. He's the best player the Senators have ever had. Absolutely. Well, like Alfie. Like I knew you were going to say that. Well, Alfie. Apples, apples and oranges. Like Alfie's. I I had to say Alfie for the Senators fans because he's an institution for them, right? But sure. I, I feel like he has brought a lot more to Ottawa than Alfredson has. Um, it just in regards to. Um, exposure and attention mm-hmm. like Alfredson was just so well known that like you just expected him in Ottawa Carlson brings something new to the table every game yeah and he's a, just a different breed of hockey player to watch he's he's incredible like I, I don't think it's a hot take to say he's the best player in the league because his track record minus you know having won the Stanley Cup like it's there like he's he's an established player he plays well he makes the players around him better um, so it'll be interesting to see. And I mean, the other side of the trade too, like Nashville, they're also a win now team, right? They get better right away. Um, we talked about it earlier. Nashville shores up the depth that they have in center ice. Um, the extension for tourists, I don't know where I'm at on that. Six by six, uh, is, is a decent contract for a team that's ready to win right now. Yeah. And it begs the question, like, do you think the GM, like David Poyle, is looking at this, you know, six years from now and is like, oh, I don't know about the contract. Like, they're trying to win right now. So, you know, do they just get it done and, and then maybe not worry about the cap crunch that may come in six years? I don't know. I don't know. Like, but you got to think now, like, he's doing this to win now. Is a cup, like, in their crosshairs over the next six years? Like, what do you think? Oh, I don't know if I can, like, really definitively be like, they're going to win the Cup in three years. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. Um, they've got the tools. Pecorine yeah. scares the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> and the, those top four defense. Well, and, and, and the nice thing about the trade, truthfully, like, just, it's, it's you know, I think not understated necessarily, but... Nashville was able to do this trade without having to give up one of the top four. It feels like all teams like kind of got to like have their cake and eat it too in this trade. Hold on a second. Are you saying <laughs> that all the teams won in this trade? Well, if you think about it, like Ottawa got like a young, excited Duchesne like integrated into the lineup. Uh, like Nashville didn't have to give up anybody, but they're like bringing to their development. Colorado basically gets to start anew. Yeah. And so, like, there's opportunity for, like, all three of these teams to have a huge paradigm shift. Yeah, I, I th- well, I think Colorado, like, truthfully, like, just to, like, get it out there, Colorado wins this trade. Well, yeah, because they have the most opportunity to, like, clean slate. Like, sure. Like, I think Duchesne's a win because Duchesne is going to be an immediate impact player. Yeah. And we see that... Uh, Turris is going to have some, you know, some success in Nashville, yeah. hopefully. I'm sure he will. <laughs> but really, like Colorado, they ship out a player who was unhappy. Yeah. He needed a change of scenery. Literally everybody said that. We knew that. And in doing so, they re- acquire some crucial, crucial, crucial pieces. All right, so it is November 6th, and a month ago, I'm going to share with uh, people listening, uh, a conversation that you and I had uh, okay. via text message. So on October 6th, a month ago, to you the day. <laughs> to, to the day, you texted me 
and said that the Vegas Golden Knights would make the Stanley Cup playoffs in their first year. I was boosted. You were boozing, I think. <laughs> no, boosted. Boozing. <laughs> and on October 6th, I replied and said, you're out of your goddamn mind. There's no way they are going to be not great, and they're going to be the laughing stock of the Western Conference and end in last place. So it's November 6th, a month since that text message string was uh, back and forth. And the Vegas Golden Knights are in town playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sorry, the, the score right now, 3-2. For the Maple Leafs. For the Maple Leafs. Just so going into it, it's a close game, but the Leafs have them right now. All right. It's good to know. Now, the uh, Golden Knights come into the ACC tonight with a 9-4 and record, which is good for second place in the Pacific and third place in the Western Conference. <laughs> So, the Golden Knights are coming off of a victory. They've lost three of their last four. They're playing a road back-to-back against the Leafs tonight and the Montreal Canadiens tomorrow. So, you love the Vegas Golden Knights. It's not so much that I love them. They're just, like, I get, I, like I, I have to applaud teams that make waves. You know what I mean? Like, that's what Nashville's doing. That's what... Colorado's attempting to do right now, and I think they're doing it right. Um, but I think they went at the expansion draft the right way. Like, they had some good picks, they had some dead picks. Um, but I think as a whole, they kind of got the they kind of got the whole picture in the way that they did their picks. Um, it's tough to say though if that can last. You know, it it it's early in the season, so you don't know how things could last. But they have some players that have some maturity. And they're used to delivering results all season. So I feel like I, I don't want to redact on my, <laughs> my Stanley Cup thing um, <laughs> because it would be so amazing to see a, like the Golden Knights in a Stanley Cup round the first year of an expansion team. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, but I don't think they're going to do it. But I, I want to put my chips in that basket and say they're going to do it. It'd be interesting. I mean, they somehow posted eight wins before their first loss. Yeah, uh, it's insane. It's insane. And they are the fastest expansion team that's got to eight wins since 1968. So they've been able to put those wins together, um, which was interesting. So I think one of the glaring you know, screw-ups um, for for the Vegas Golden Knights has been the Vadim Shipachov situation. So for those of you who are maybe not following along completely with that, Vadim Shipachov was a, I would call him a superstar in the KHL, played really well. He's, I think he turned 30 years old, yeah, 30, 30 this past year, um, but just a really, really great player. And like all great players, um, you know, wanted to, to see what he could do and what kind of impact he could make coming to the NHL. So comes over to Vegas, signs a $9 million deal, $4.5 million for two years, uh, plays three games, three games yeah, <laughs> and scores one goal in those three games. And Vegas goes, yeah, we're not so sure about, you know, how you've played. I mean, we'll never know the real story, but... Doesn't work out. He gets uh, assigned to the AHL affiliate, the Chicago Wolves, and then just says, Peace! I'm going back to Russia. 
what was your take on all of this, man? Well, just like you said, I, like, I think we'll never know the whole story. I don't know. I just think it was a really weird move for a team that's like legit trying to legitimize themselves in the National Hockey League to kind of drop a player of that caliber and of that expenditure that quick. Yeah. Like it's like, I know you were like, you were really current and like kind of expressive about it as it was going on. Like he didn't get his chance. Like, what are you doing? And I, I feel like you hit the nail on the head. Like it, it was just out of left field. And that was so like, out of character for a team in the National Hockey League to do for someone who really did no wrong. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because I think the, the the person who loses is the consumer. Like the yeah. NHL fans, we put up with, you know, a lot of bullshit from the league that yeah. we all love. <laughs> it's funny, <laughs> for a podcast that's celebrating our love for hockey, there's times where the NHL, you know, they do a disservice to the fans. And I think... You know, for a player who's 30 years old, uh, has been like a prolific player in the KHL to come over. As <clears throat> as hockey fans, we deserve to see what he's made of. Oh, and I just don't think we were afforded the opportunity. And, um, you know, without getting on like some crazy tangent, like this is just another example of George McPhee's mismanagement of assets. Absolutely. Well, and just like when we're on the topic of like other like aspects of the game, that's like an untouched market that was excited for him to come over here and that the NHL had an opportunity to pour into and they just missed it. Sure. Like they're looking for ways, like literally constantly looking for ways to grow the game. And I, this is going to get negative and I'll try and temper my emotions a little bit here, but like they don't go to the Olympics. They take a, you know, they don't take, but they draw enough interest from Shipachev to come over and play in the NHL. And then it doesn't go well. And then he goes back to Russia. Um, he, I believe earlier today announced a voluntary, uh, like retirement so that he could go back and play in Russia. It's brutal. Like think of all the talent that is, is sitting in the KHL and there are probably players who, you know, we're thinking about coming over and they might be second guessing that. Oh, absolutely. And it's not like he came here and didn't do well. Like he didn't even take his coat off. Like, yeah. He still had his coat on from when he got here. Right. Like it's, and yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head insofar as prospecting goes. That's a real, that's going to be a real stain on the NHL's treatment of prospects and kind of over the pond players or even domestic players. Yeah. Like, if you're getting a better offer elsewhere where people would take the NHL offer hands down 10 out of 10 times, now it's in the back of their mind. Like, well, I wonder how I'm going to get treated here. Mm-hmm. Like, is it really worth it for me to say that I made it to the NHL or can I go get an equal experience playing elsewhere? And if not a better experience playing elsewhere and one where they're going to treat me better. Yeah, the the treatment like I, I don't want to read too much into the the treatment of Shibachov. By, by treatment I just mean like the like if they're gonna believe in me or not, or like am I gonna last more than three days? Sure. Yeah, and that that's totally like warranted. It's interesting too because Gusev um, is a player that was acquired in one of the trades um, with Vegas. Like Vegas has the rights to Gusev. Uh, from the expansion draft, another Russian player 
high caliber, like high talent. Um, you know, I hope he still comes over. I can't yeah. imagine why he wouldn't, but it's one of those things where you wonder, like, does the, does the Russian factor play into it? And it, it bums me out because I'd like to think that the Russian factor doesn't exist, but we all know that it exists. The NHL, um, you know, they, they say that the game is for everybody, and I, I truly hope it is. But at the same time, there are certain things that make me feel like it might, you know, be lost on some people, which is, which is challenging. But, you know, you think about the way that, that Vegas went about their business and, you know, there was a, a few picks in this expansion draft uh, that I wasn't keen on. Shipachev obviously wasn't a part of the expansion draft, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how they've built their team. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the Vegas Golden Knights offensively. Defensively, I think that they've been okay. I've been impressed with Colin Miller. I think Nate Schmidt um, has been a really great ad for them. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of difference um, Shea Theodore can make with the Golden Knights. Yeah, um, that's that's been interesting. And it's weird bearing down the third line, but he seems to fit. Well, the thing with Shea Theodore is like I think he didn't quite get his shot on Anaheim's blue line. I think had he been kept. Um, this past, uh, like f- for this season, he would have seen a little bit more time with, um, you know, Vatnin, uh, and a couple of the other players on, on Anaheim's blue line being injured. Like, I think you would have seen him a little bit more and really got a, a really good kind of gauge on him. But the interesting thing here is that you've got tonight, the game is going on as we speak. I think it's still three, 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 Derek oh. Englund. I was just, I was honestly just about to make a point about England. Oh, were you? So England, uh, that's so funny. We're sitting here talking about who we've been impressed with. I was going to say that England has not been that impressive. Well, but. it's just because he's like a stay-at-home, consistent defenseman. Like, you can rely on England in, in Vegas. In Vegas. In Vegas. Yeah, I was going to so say, let's preface that with, yeah, yeah, in in Vegas. It's interesting, too, because Toronto's 29th in goals against. They've surrendered 36 goals. Uh, sorry, Freddie. It's not ideal, but the Maple Leafs are able to make up for it by having the highest, uh, like they're the highest scoring team going into tonight. They had 40 goals scored, but they've only won two of their last six. Yeah. Uh, so defensively, it's hard to believe, but the Maple Leafs are worse defensively than the Vegas Golden Knights. What's your take on that? Every team has like their areas that they're going to exhaust their resources. Right. And, You'd have to be stupid to not think that they're not pouring their money into Matthews and Marner. And so all of their attention is going to their front end. So it's not really like, it's not a shocker that they're lacking in their back end when all of the limelight is on their front end. You know what I mean? Well, they just don't have the, it's, it's, I, I almost said it's, it, they don't have the talent, which is not true. No, they, it's not that they don't have the talent, but the, the attention is focused elsewhere. And it's not even that the focus is being pulled elsewhere. The Leafs defensively are 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 not great. You know, you've got some nice pieces. You've got like your, your Morgan Riley. You got your Jake Gardner. Zaitsev has you know has had some decent nights. Um, it's so funny. Craig Blankhorn just texted me. Jake Gardner. Hold on, let me read it verbatim. That is like perfect timing. Is Gardner the worst D man this year or the worst <laughs> D man ever? He's going to love that. Perfect timing, Craigie. Thank you. 
Jesus Christ. The Leafs for so long have always been relying on like their offensive prowess to make up for their like poor defensive system, right? Oh, yeah. Like it's it's not strong, like, you know, and people keep saying like, oh, you know what? Like the Leafs are one, you know, they're, they're one, um, like number one or number two defenseman away from being a true contender. And I'm just thinking like, how about we just firm up like three, four, five, six, and yeah. like we can talk about a number one or a number two defenseman, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like you look at the the Pittsburgh Penguins last year, they won a cup with like, you know, spare parts on the back end, you yeah. know, with like Ron Hainsey and, you know, a couple of <laughs> other guys, right? But it's true. Like yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, I think the, the media tells us that like the Leafs are this close from, you know, doing some real work. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but defensively, they're a fucking tire fire. Like, yeah. I I have such a hard time. Like, defensively, Craig's right. Like, that message was, like, perfect timing. But Gardner, I love I love Jake Gardner. I, th- I think he's a great player. I think he's offensively gifted. When he's got the puck, he's fun to watch. But his shortcomings defensively stress me out. His inconsistencies defensively stress me out. Um, and you know, it's funny cause this topic started on an expansion team and how the Leafs are a, a great team as far as, you know, their, their ability to score goals, but their, you know, their, their defensive numbers stress me out. The other thing, like the Leafs have going for them, they've got, you know, better possession numbers than the Golden Knights and they've surrendered a lot less shot attempts but it's, I don't know, man. Yeah. One topic that I, I really wanted to spend some time on uh, was the vegan, Vegas vegan, the, the vegan vegan, <laughs> vegan Golden Knights. Uh, was the Vegas Golden Knights goaltending situation? Okay, so maybe I'll start this off because I thought Flurry was a bad pick. <sighs> I know Chris is. You know I'm going to disagree with you. Chris just palmed palmed his face because. I'm not sure if it's a hot take or if it's founded on something. So just hit me with it, baby. Well, no, it's because if you're looking at their last four games, they've lost three. And like I, I made the joke earlier, they got a jersey hanging from the crossbar. That's their goalie right now. <laughs> yeah, but that's not Flurry's fault. Like I know he got hurt, but that's all. He's all they got. Like they picked up Subban on waivers. Yeah, and like he's. Or he's out for another two weeks. Yeah. And the third string is game by game. And so... Well, Oscar Dansk, the pride of the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> uh, sorry. pride of the Columbus. No, it's funny because <laughs> I remember when Dansk got drafted. I think he got drafted, like, I think it's 31st or 32nd overall to the Blue Jackets in the second round a couple of years ago. Everybody was like, Dansk is like the second coming. And like, I watched Oscar Dansk play in, for the Erie Otters and... It's <laughs> tough. I don't know, man. It's tough. It's it's interesting. Like, you know, Mark Andre Fleury had a nine two five save percentage before the injury. That's a small sample size. Like, that's yeah. four games. Oh, I, and see, that's what I mean. Like, it's nothing against Fleury. I think he's a phenomenal hockey player. Um, he brought lots of success. To I just don't know who else they would have picked as far as goaltending goes. There wasn't much else out there, for, like as far as the expansion draft goes. I think that's what you meant a yeah, second ago. Yeah, but they could have got something else as well. Like I think they shot themselves in the foot by. Well, they're not like so. But yeah, he he doesn't want to invest in another goalie. 
because he wants to believe in the roster that he has, right? I like Corpusalo. That I think if they if they had picked up uh, Jonas, I think it's Jonas or Jonas or Junus. Let's call him Junus. Let's call him Junus. I like Junus. Sorry, Jonas. Junus Corpusalo. Yeah, I don't think he's listening. No, but Corpusalo, backup goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, I like him, man. He he played fairly well when Bobrovsky had had some some challenging starts. And, and and I thought Corpusalo was great. But I, I think he was protected as a part of a side deal. Oh, really? I believe so. I can't remember definitively. But, like, I like Subban. Yeah. I, like, I, I think Malcolm Subban was not misused, maybe miscast in Boston. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have some depth in their goaltending system in the Providence Bruins. I don't think Subban was getting a fair shake there. No. Um, so to see him come in, play like, what, 10 minutes before he was injured? <laughs> I think it was like two games. But, you know, he's expected to be back in another couple of weeks. And then Oscar Dansk, their third string goalie, uh, you know, has a pretty decent start, then he gets injured, and now you got their fourth string goalie, Maxim uh, Lagasse. I thought it was Legacy, but it's Lagasse. I know. Uh, Manny Legacy. I got. That's what a lot of people were saying. They're like, Manny Legacy, the return. <laughs> Legacy. <laughs> yeah, but but this guy, like, he's okay. I don't know. I, I'm not like he. He's not a regular. Like, I know he's going to get sent back down to Chicago. Um, the funniest part is this kid, Dylan Ferguson, uh, I believe he plays for Kamloops, I want to say, uh, and the WHL gets called up as the backup. Uh, this guy got drafted and then was part of, he was drafted by Dallas this past, uh, draft. And then he was traded to Vegas as a part of the Mark Mathot deal that sent Mark Mathot to Dallas. He gets called up. He's just like chilling. He looks like he's like 16 years old. <laughs> Uh, you know, he's, he's like a young kid, but like, you, you got to think like, that's pretty weird considering the goaltending market right now, you know, like what, what would an Andrew Hammond be worth? What would, uh, you know, like we talked about this earlier, like there's some fringe guys, you wonder what it would cost to acquire them. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's where they need to start spending their money now. And that's the only reason why I disagreed with the flurry thing is because, they spent all that money on their all-star and then look what happens to the rest, rest of their depth. Between the it's well, I mean, it's not money so much as it is like rosters, yeah, like it's well, not even salary. It's, it's just, just like space. I guess. It's space. And I think there's an investment, uh, aside from the financial side of things with flurry, like flurry is the face of the golden Knights flurry and James Neal. Yeah. And I think for a minute, Jason Garrison was the face before he got sent down. <laughs> But, like, these are the people, like, they're the, the recognizable, excuse me, shouldn't burp into the mic. They're the recognizable talent for the Golden Knights, but right? how long is it, like, how many more hot seasons does Flurry have left? He's in his, like, he's, what, 32, 33? I think he's in his early 30s. Yeah, you're right. But I think he still has it, man. I he, do. He's got it. But if going with, a, like, a brand new organization... And one that's, like, so unpredictable, that has a lot of stress on a goalie. Like, a goalie, like, they're kind of the, like, like the, like, by, they, they're deferred to carry all the stress of the team. Sure, especially it. a team like this. And as he said earlier, like, he is, like, the face of the franchise, which is fine. But, yeah. you know, 
I feel like his shelf life is going to be exhausted more than it would have in a more established, yeah. mature that's, franchise. That's probably true, but what was he going to do in Pittsburgh? Like, yeah. Matt Murray stepped in and was like, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, Marc-Andre, I've got this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just, I, Matt Murray wins the well, not wins them directly, but you know was a huge impact on them winning the last two cups yeah. uh, in Pittsburgh, right? But, I guess I just would have liked him to see him because he he only made it nine years. I would have liked to see him play a tenth year. I think that's where dude. You got to let go of this idea that players are going to stay with their franchise forever. It's I not going to happen, buddy. Ray Bork didn't do it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> like relax. <laughs> but you know, he it's carried funny. that cup though. Yeah, in a way. Fuck, I, if I ever wanted to cry, I just watch that. <laughs> Buddy, that's brutal. Watch you sack a can the cup over to Bart. I can't even. I just, I can't. I told you. I Yeah, I know. I, know. I There's nothing about Colorado that I like <laughs> at all. Even Their jerseys, the new Adidas jerseys where they went back to that, like, kind of baby blue uh, yeah. on their jersey. That That's the only thing about them that I'm liking right now. That and Samuel Girard. That's about it. But uh, if the Golden Knights are in the playoff hunt come February... Should they be sellers at the trade deadline? I guess it all comes down to who they're getting rid of, right? Well, let's just put it in perspective. So the Golden Knights enter November 6th, as we said before, 9-4. and four. Yeah. It's okay. About 500, right? Yeah. Real deal James Neal. Real deal. Real deal James. I just love saying that. He's slated to become a UFA this summer. Yeah. And the 30-year-old would probably be the easiest trade chip. Yeah. I don't know. You know, or, or at least... You know, most recognizable trade trade ship. You know, players are probably looking for a type of talent like that at the trade deadline. Do you trade him? See, that's an, I don't think like I don't think he's you look be, you look really worried. Yeah, I know because I it's going to be an unpopular opinion, but what he's worth to Vegas isn't going to be worth anything else in the NHL, or like it's it's not going to be worth as much anywhere else in the NHL. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that. Because I think he represents, yeah. like, like it sounds so corny, but like a winning culture. Yeah, absolutely. in a way, at, at least at on November sixth. Yeah, November a winning 6th. culture, <laughs> right? So it's it's gonna be like tough. I like they're they're making some like some strange moves, um, some smart, some not so smart. But I think they need to stick with their guns and kind of see this way through. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think giving Neil away, like he's not going to get what they, like what they expect out of him. Well, I think going anywhere else. what does Neil get at the trade deadline? He's got to get, well, judging on what we've seen for players of that type of caliber move at the deadline before, like he's, he's going to get probably, I would say a first round pick. Up, you think he's at the first round? To a team that's like wanting his services in February, March, yes. Yeah, I guess. Well, we've seen well, first round picks go for like Martin Hansel. I'm sure yeah, we could yeah. see it. Yeah, that's true. Again, but, sorry to Tim Waugh. I'm sure he has a soft spot for Hansel. But that's the thing. Like, he's he's 30. Like, he's. We're watching the game transition into a very young game. Like. Well, 30 is like old now, which that's is what I mean. like, hilarious to me. But. Yeah, like, you, when you like. When we grew up watching players play into their like well into their forties, yeah. Other than this machine Yager. Well, buddy, I'm watching Chris Chelios like 75 years old on the blue line. Like <laughs> he probably could still play. Like no, no, like disrespect to Chris Chelios, but so I, I went to the Winter Classic this year, watched the old timers game. Chris, 
Leatherface still, <laughs> still has some lateral movement. Yeah, I believe it, man. Chris Chelios has been spending too many years tanning. He looks a little strange now. Yeah, but it's so funny. Imagine Chelios still played. Uh, he's huge. He's jacked, man. But he's like. Anyways, back on topic. Yeah, I, I, I think for for what it's worth, I don't know it. Like, I don't think Neil's gonna be. Like, if he goes to a win-now organization, like we were talking about earlier, yeah, he's going to get his worth, but I don't think Vegas is going to get the type of player that they need. Like, James Neal has this type of leadership, who has this type of maturity. He's a good, I guess, captain of the ship, like, to kind of steer... Well, I think he's, like, they don't have a captain. Vegas doesn't have a captain, but he is, like, the... By captain of the ship, I mean, like, he's going to start to steer Vegas in the direction... Sure, yeah, I agree. I think he's probably, like, the, like, default captain on that team, Yeah, and so I feel like he's worth a lot more for them to keep and him to set an example and a president for how the organization is going to, like, react to different players. Mm -hmm. I think he's worth far more than a trade at the deadline. I think so, too. Um, you know, the other UFAs that we'd be looking at for Vegas would be Jonathan Marcheseau, yeah. David Perron, Lucas Pisa, Clayton Stoner, Braden McNabb, and Derek Englund, your boy Derek Englund. Yeah, see, I, I, I would keep Englund. I think he, he has a good spot. Um, Marcheseau, I wouldn't get rid of either. Yeah, there's no way. I'm yeah. surprised that you'd keep Englund, to be honest. It, I just... You love the intangibles, buddy. That's yeah, all it is. Like, just say it. <laughs> I just like coming from such a defensive background. Like I, I like watching someone. Like, but is he going to be able to keep up? Like I agree with you. He is like a a stalwart on Vegas. Again, yeah, we gotta right. keep on Vegas. On Vegas, he's like a stalwart. But like I see a similar game in Spiza. I see a similar game in McNabb. McNabb is a, probably the best of those like UFA defensemen. Yeah, I agree with you about Marcheseau. I wonder what Marcheseau is going to make. Um, I wonder if he'll stay with Vegas. Yeah, um, I'd like to see him stay. I, I think they should um, they should invest in Marcheseau, and if they if they do well and continue to do well, or continue to at least not be under five hundred, he's a player that'll go down with the Gold Knights as a Gold Knights. Like, One of their like top players of the first few years. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. The Golden Knights, you know, they could trade away some expiring assets for picks and continue to stockpile. Yeah. That That's the other side of it, right? In 2018, they have 12 picks. In 2019, they have nine picks. Yeah. And it's it's been, you know, despite some of like the kind of sh- shitty or stupid moves that George McPhee's made, the scouting and the, the impressive prospect pool that they've been able to build in the first year is decent. Um, I love Eric Brandstrom. I think Cody Glass, Nick Suzuki, Nicholas Hag, like all of those guys are going to be NHL regulars. Nicholas Hag's foot speed worries me sometimes. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, I, I think that, that he's going to be a, a great player for them uh, at some point or another. One part of me agrees with what you're saying. The other part of me thinks that, uh, their their scouting team and and really their their front office team as a whole they need to stick to the plan and they need to acquire assets for the future so that they contend they can contend long term yeah so like it's it's like warm and fuzzy to say like stay james neal stay marcheso 
Derek Englund, like yeah. we got a spot for you. But at the the other side of it is that like if you want to be objective about it, you got to think like this is their first year. They're not going to win the cup. No, they're not going to get to the conference finals. Like they're not they're not going to be a contending team. Yeah. Yeah. I should maybe be careful because I said this a month ago that they were going to be in the basement and they're doing okay so far. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like they're not they're not going to really make that kind of noise. Does it make sense to, you know, to continue to have these players and risk losing them for nothing come UFA yeah. time? You know what I mean? Or do they recoup some of the assets, right? Yeah. Not that they they didn't lose anything by getting those players, but you know what I mean. Well, I wanted to thank everybody for checking out the first episode of Hosers. Hopefully you liked it. Um, if you have any feelings about the Vegas Golden Knights, positive vibes <laughs> that you want to send to Carter, please do. Thanks for checking out the podcast, guys. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, um, and you can find out some more um, information about the podcast on Twitter. Thanks for checking it out, guys. It's a beautiful